This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk back again with you guys for another episode of our Eat Sleep Arsenal repeat podcast. Very happy to be joining you once again for our weekly dose of Arsenal action and chat about our lives uh, a little bit as well. I'm very happy uh, to be joined. Uh, the returning Owen, how you doing mate? You good, Joel? I'm good, buddy. Yeah, I'm good. Do you want to know what? If there was ever uh, a time for a hiatus, it was then because seemingly the fan base had gone into turmoil and thank God that I come back in the week that everything's starting to lock up again. So uh, impeccable timing as always. Yeah, we had uh, obviously the Fulham draw. We had deadline day, not signing anybody. And, you know, yeah, it's uh, it was chaotic. But uh, last weekend, things went very well for us indeed. We left it pretty late. But uh, yeah, we got the result in the end. Uh, the doc is going to be along shortly. Sadly, no Sophie this evening. Uh, sending her all our well wishes and hoping that she recovers. She's not been very well this week. Um, and uh, MK was going to be with us, but sadly has been called into work. So I've got a hell of a super sub for you today because uh, a certain Mr. Drew Thompson joins us today. How do you, mate? You good? You well? Yep, tired as always and mm. trending on the ex-grump scale as usual, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> the ex-grump graph is getting into some dangerous zones uh, at the moment. But uh, it's good to speak with you, have you as always, my friend. So I'm glad to see you good and well. Um, let's talk uh, Thomas Partey because uh, obviously injured uh, in the lead up to the game against Manchester United. Uh, the moment, or rather this evening, I'm pretty sure that Ghana did play uh, their game in the African Cup of Nations uh, in the against, I think it was Central African Republic, and uh, they won 2-1, which means that Ghana, I believe, have now qualified uh, for the African Cup of Nations. Um, they won, yeah, 2-1 it was. Uh, Mohamed Kudus getting the first goal, Ernest Nuama with the second uh, but Luis uh, Mafuta uh, got an early goal 25 minutes in to kind of create a bit of a scare because had Ghana um, lost this game in Angola 1, they would have been out. But it does confirm that Ghana will be at the tournament in January, Owen. Um, is there, I mean, we're, we're without him now until potentially at least six weeks. 
And now we will be losing him for a period in January as well. Is this tipped you over into kind of feeling that maybe it's time to move on from Thomas Partey? Yeah, well, it, it's it's such a funny sport, football, isn't it? I think uh, around the time that um, Thomas Partey was first linked and uh, you know the signing became realistic, I think you said that he was a transformational signing, and and I think that's what we all expected him to be. And in a sense, I would say that he has been that to a certain degree. But I think one thing that we're starting to realize, you know, with someone like Granite Jack, is one of the best attributes that you can have is availability. Um, and unfortunately, Thomas Partey just doesn't seem to have that for whatever reason. And it doesn't seem like slowing up at all. You know, he's starting to come to the wrong side of 30 now. Not that that's any sort of death sentence in modern day football with the way the players take care of themselves now. But there's no doubt that I, th- I think, it, did you read out a stat the other day that he's only been available for 68% of of his games? Oh, I think 64% of games, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. That's worrying, especially when you have such a pivotal um, position in the team, uh, as Thomas Partey does. Uh, in regards to the international duty, look, injuries are going to happen, uh, regardless of whether he's playing in an Arsenal jersey or a Ghana jersey. You know, he's a professional footballer. If he's, av- if he's available, he'll play for Arsenal. And if he's available, he'll play for Ghana. And that's just sort of running the risk. Uh, sorry, part of, the, part of the risk that you have to take. What I would say is, is that, yes, it, it, it has tipped me over the edge. Um, in regards to what we do with Thomas Partey come potentially not, not January because notoriously January is difficult to, to get those types of signings over the line, those big sort of marquee signings over the line. Um, not that it would have to be an out-and-out replacement now with the acquisition of Declan Rice, you know, that that, that could be maybe put forward and uh, still have to see how Kai Havertz develops, but it could be put into somewhere else. But there's no doubt for the wages that he takes up, for the, the position in the squad that he takes up, for the age profile that he's starting to hit, and with, most importantly, that injury record, is that that is uh, starting to become a big, big concern that I don't think we can ignore anymore. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, that stat of 64% of games being available for is is a real frustration, you know, beyond anything. You know, we will be without him again for the home game against Man City, just like we were last season. Um, we found out hours before that game that we weren't going to have Partey, where we've got a little bit more time. And of course, Declan Rice as well available too uh, this time around. Um, Doc, good to see you. Good to have you joining us as well. How are you doing, my friend? You good, Joel? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. No, always a pleasure. I, I I feel like I've got my two grumpiest responders in one show. Um, in true and yourself, which is Grumpy. great. Really, the tone Grumpy. is like I say measured. I say measured and having perspective. <laughs> measured and perspective is certainly. Yeah, I think how Drew like to call himself of his views as well. We'll come to you, Raj, in a second with this party stuff. But Drew, um, yes, uh, reports are at least six weeks out with this groin issue we're still waiting for kind of confirmation on any kind of detail about what it is specifically we know that it's apparently a growing problem we don't know anything regarding grades of issue surrounding it we first heard from the Ghanaian national team that it was a couple of weeks Arteta then said it was a few weeks and now we think it was Sammy Mottbald the male that said at least six weeks and after the international break so how does this kind of make you feel about his situation and where Arsenal go from here and also knowing now that Ghana are involved in the AFCON in January as well I mean I kind of feel like if you have any any African player on the books that comes from one of the big sides you have to expect they're going to go to AFCON usually without you know barring some sort of like catastrophic end of results for them so 
when we bought Partev, we knew that was going to be part of the issue, but I don't think anyone of us expected him to have such fitness issues since coming to Arsenal. I think that's kind of like where people maybe are voicing their frustrations towards. And I understand that 100%. How I'd go on from here, I kind of got in this chat about two days ago on Twitter where I had said, you know, at this point, I'd rather just move on from him next summer. And I do think bringing uh, Declan Rice now sets us up for that quite nicely. You know, obviously Rice has shown he can play in the six in our system. You know, that's an immediate replacement and long-term upgrade on Thomas Partey, which is fine. Um, you know, him featuring at right back provisionally, depending on who's fit and available. Long-term, I think we're okay there too. Some people were talking about him. That's why we should go and got even for Isneda when we didn't, whatever it is. It's okay. I do think overall the squad is fine, even when he's not fit. I think, I think Jorginho is still criminally underrated by a lot of our fan base because of his age profile and you know and certain uh, aspects of who he is from a physical standpoint. But he's one of the prime players that we can utilize in terms of uh, ball security, keeping possession, distribution, transition play. So I think you know playing Jorginho more than maybe some would have wanted to in the next you know six to eight weeks might ruffle some feathers, but you know, he should be more than serviceable enough to go to places like PSV play well if he plays yeah or rotate in the league get the cups that kind of thing so i'm hardly panicking at the moment like it's like doc measured calm not <laughs> that like drawing head first into the whole like you know cataclysmic kind of uh conversation pieces that you see on social media so i'm fine with it you know but again i do think it kind of like i agree with owen and you i do think it solidifies the fact that we should probably move on from him when we can um, and I was having to move on with him from the summer for the exact same reason. If we had gotten a decent enough bid from whoever, I was fine with watching him go. And then also conveniently with Sam Bilikonga's loan, a full year, you know, kind of at Luton will show maybe if he develops good well enough, he can come in and then be, you know, that second or third choice behind Rice, depending. And if not, we know we have the money to go out and buy a replacement if we need to. So all things considered, I think we're in a good place and, there's no reason for us to be frustrated by it personally. So, yeah, right, fair enough. Good points, well made. I'm curious, Doc, to get your thoughts on this, obviously, because you know we've now seen so many times where we've lost Partey. Uh, Drew's brought up a great point in Jorginho and having him available to us in the depth that he adds to the team. And then he's also expected to be back this month, is my understanding too. I had a chat actually pulled a, kind of pulled him to one side after the game against Man United and was like, Mo. When are you back? And he said back soon. So uh, yeah, that's that's certainly a, a positive, and and it's understood. I think my colleague Kai Karnaka Football London has reported it is September uh, that he is expected to be back. So that's good. Um, but what are your views on on Partey's availability and and where we should go with him from here? Yeah, I mean, I think his availability speaks for itself, right? With the number you gave, sixty four percent availability. I think the fact that he came in last day of the window, right? I think it's been a uh, lesson learned for the club because he wasn't allowed, he wasn't given time to adapt to the type of intensity required of him over the preseason. Whereas this season, obviously we went out and did our work much earlier to allow these guys to come in and be with the, the fitness coaches and be with the physios. That gives you a lot more ramp up time and understanding of that player and who they are just from a familiarity issue, from a testing metrics aspect rather than coming on the last day so you're already into the season and so and that's one part of it to me with Partey and then I think the other I mean the other part of it is we know once you 
have a soft tissue injury, it's the biggest predictor of future injury for that same area. So, you know, he's had multiple thigh muscle injuries. He had a hamstring. He actually recovered from that quite well, hasn't had a recurrence. And then I think Mikel said on this one, it's a groin or thigh or somewhere in between. That could be, again, hip flexor. We don't really know. But it all seems to be related to that same area. And so once you can get into that kind of, you know, that cycle of risk, it then becomes obviously, you know, you're at higher risk. And then playing him at right back, which brings along different positional demands, which he was likely trained for over the summer, uh, especially at right back. You're now you're now going to have more sprints, quantity of sprints, intensity of sprints, duration of sprints. And now you're involved in more changing direction as well. It's a different physical demand on your body compared to a the six he was playing. And even last year when holding was in. We saw him get fatigued when he was playing, had to cover more ground for holding and make up more ground. So I think it's a player we've seen who has some uh, physical decline in general. Then you add in all these other aspects, right? And I and I agree with um, everyone else here in terms of that. If you can get a, you know get a, a good offer for him next summer, provided you can not even provided, I think you can find a, a good enough replacement for him now that, that, that we have Declan. I think it's probably going to be time for him, him to move on. Yeah. See, I, I just wanted to jump in there. Um, two points to make. First of all, I think we're probably all doing the player uh, a disservice by forgetting to mention the fact that he, he's an absolutely phenomenal player when he is fit. And I think that he provides, and even in his absence, um, as good as Declan Rice and everybody else has been is, he provides something that I don't think anybody else on the pitch can do, which is he's that pressure release valve. Nobody takes the ball from the defence and transitions it into attack as well as Thomas Partey does, especially with multiple markers on a, on his back, being able to turn and release that ball into the uh, more established ball players in the side. Um, but one of the things I wanted to throw back to Raj here, and, and this is in regards to a couple of players, and this may be the best question I've ever asked or the most stupid thing I've ever asked as well. So it could be one of the other, Raj, but just, just play it's it. It's probably good again. now. I'll tell yeah. you, you built this up. So, no, so <laughs> I remember watching um, Urian Timber in preseason and, and then watching him live in uh, uh, against Nottingham Forest at the start of the season. And one of his, my favourite things that he'd done was that drop the shoulder and shimmy and explode the opposite way and completely leave his marker for dead. Um, and that got me thinking, is there specific traits in players say for example with him with that sharp turn and explosive run that leaves him maybe more susceptible to an SEL injury and when we look at Thomas Partey in particular here it's always those calf and groin and muscle injuries and you know we all know the nickname that he has the octopus he's he's renowned for outstretching legs and nicking balls away is there traits in players that make them more susceptible to certain injuries and is there any other one that isn't obvious for example, the reoccurring injury with Gabriel Jesus. Is there anyone else in the squad that stylistically you look at and think, "Who, you, you're you're a culprit for for a big injury"? Or uh, I wouldn't say. I, it's so hard to say with traits in, in that regard, just because you can always, you know, theorize about it, right? With Partey stretching out more, potentially it puts more stress with Timbers turns. But really, I mean. Um, it, it's so difficult to say in, in in that regard. I mean, you can look potentially for certain biomechanics with how guys are turning. But then the biggest thing I can also look at, like that we know the biggest risk factors are previous injury and then increase in uh, load, whether that's intensity, amount of minutes, 
that's those two are are the the, the biggest well known factors, right? And then the other one that we will never know about is how are these how are they being prepared physically, right, for those positions? So, um, I mean, if you look at Timber's record injury record, like it's pretty pristine. So it was Partey's. And so there, there, we know that first season in the Premier League, there's a jump in intensity. We know early on in the season, there's more injuries because of the jump in intensity as you go from pre to real season. And that's just part of the risk that comes with football. And I think especially for players who are new to the Premier League. I think that's why, in my opinion, you know, Vieira has been handled quite well. Allow him to adapt because he's extremely slight physically. And he was playing in a league that you could argue was, you know, two or three notches below physically what the Premier League was. Whereas perhaps La Liga is maybe one notch or something like that, right? And so, yeah, I mean, you can look for those traits. It's hard to say without, like, you know, doing actual mechanical assessment. Even then, it's not really definitive in that regard. And so, yeah, it's a hard question to answer. There's so, there's so many variables that come into that. The best question you've ever asked, get the best answer you've ever received, Owen? Or <laughs> I, think, I think Raj has just shown that our level of friendship that he politely told me that it was stupid in the most intelligent way I've ever heard. <laughs> No, it's not. Thank it's you. Not, it's, no, no, it's not stupid. It's just, it's just so hard. There's so much great. Like when it comes, there's so much. I think it's the hardest part trying to explain fitness and injuries. There's so mm-hmm. much we don't. There's so much gray area. Even if I'm like the provider, it's all mm-hmm. probabilities. If I if I don't have if you don't have any information, now you're just really shooting in the dark. Which is why social media, seeing the opinions on social media is always hilarious. Because <laughs> you have now you have untrained uh, people yeah. shooting in the dark, so right. It's just that's it, a whole different conversation. <laughs> I love it, lovely stuff. Um, yeah, so in short, you know, it's it's frustrating. I think that there is scope for Arsenal to move on uh, from Thomas Partey in, in the future. It's going to be difficult, you know. That's very obvious to find a player of the caliber to do that. I uh, did a piece yesterday talking about Yusuf Fafana, maybe being someone that Arsenal might want to look at. Uh, from Monaco, he's only got. A year left, uh, which is an option, by the way. It's not been activated yet. He actually has, you know, just over six months left on his Monaco contract. Technically, there is a year to uh, extend that, uh, which obviously would be, you'd imagine, activated. But if the price tag that Nottingham Forest agree, which I think was around 35 million euros, is is any guidance, you know, that would be a steal, in my view, to try and take a player of that level of quality. Lit up the Emirates in the Emirates Cup when he arrived. Had a very good season last year in Liga. Um, Moving forwards, uh, with it being the international break, that means a lot of our players, are you know playing or not uh me and i were just talking off air about the fact that william saliba has not started or yet come on in at the time of uh, recording uh, between the game of ireland and, and france ireland currently finding this is it still 2-0 owen at this time you're you're on mute you're on mute. Uh, yeah no that's better i don't even want to look at this stage um <laughs> it could yeah, be two, worse 2-0 two, 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 yeah. two, still right now um but yes uh at the time of recording no William Saliba yet. I don't, oh, no, he is. He's come on. He's come on uh, for Lucas Hernandez. So he is now on in the second half. But we want to kind of reduce, I feel, the load on, on these players, Owen, and Bakaya Saka in particular. As England's real only natural right winger, you know, I know Foden can play there. Um, I guess Rashford could play there if you wanted him to. For you, is is it a frustration that, Southgate just seems to play him continuously in every game. 
Yeah, yeah, well, it's, I'd say it's even more of a frustration for England fans at Southgate. Um, has no variation in his lineups whatsoever by the looks of things uh, with uh, the likes of Harry Maguire seemingly being nailed on the start um, some of their games. But uh, in regards to Saka in particular, um, yeah, it's a worry. Of course it's a worry. But at the end of the day, I think you have to take into account that this is the guy who's just picked up England's men's player of the year uh, for the second running year. Um, I think that sometimes when we watch Saka week in, week out, uh, for Arsenal, it's sort of uh, we become numb to the fact that just how brilliant this guy is, and how pivotal he can be in winning, drawing, or or, or losing a match. You know, um, I think it may have been uh, Tim Stillman on on the Arsenal Vision said that it's it's bad. You you know that you're spoiled when we're saying that Bukayo Saka hasn't been haven't been playing well, but he's still making game winning contributions. Um, whilst he's in bad form. Uh, so can you really can you can can you really be spiteful towards Gareth Southgate for for picking the player at the end of the day? He's got no no loyalties to Arsenal. You know, it's uh, he's there to win matches for England, and I think if any of us were in that situation, uh, he would be one of the first names on the team sheet for sure. So it, it it's better than the alternative. We, for years and years, we were going, you know through international breaks having no interest to watch any teams because the vast majority of our players didn't even make it on to the national squads and, and, and looking at this time around it's, it's it's just good to see all the players getting the recognition that they deserve for the performances that they've been putting in yeah no i think it's a fair point you have to raise the argument surrounding uh you know england and southgate and what their prerogative is i just feel like drew is there an argument that even for Southgate, knowing how much Saka is is playing right now, and knowing that you know, based upon who our England's opponents are in their qualification, you know, the likelihood is even with or without Saka, they're going to qualify. So, do you think it's even within you know Southgate's kind of prerogative to give him rest where possible, so that when it comes to an international tournament like the Euros at the end of the season, he's had relevant rest throughout the campaign? Or am I just being uber selfish from an Arsenal point of view? <laughs> Maybe maybe a bit of both. I kind of feel like, I mean, I don't know if you get the same level of scrutiny when Deschamps constantly plays Mbappe, when he doesn't need to, you know, Neymar constantly play for Brazil, when he didn't need to Messi for Argentina, when he didn't need to, the fact mm-hmm. is, is when you have players of that level, and we can probably now say with complete certainty that Bukayo is a world-class talent, they're always going to play, period. Whether that's for the club, for internationals, managers want to use their best players as often as possible. So, and also for England, if... And given the talent pool that they have, they're going to be a front runner for the Euros. So it's maybe Southgate's thinking is he wants some measure of continuity with his selections, so that it gives them a better, the best possible chance to have that springboard to go on and maybe win the Euro. Where I would say most experts probably put them in the, the best three or four sides in, in Europe at the moment, given talent expectations, the level they can go. So why would he not play him? I mean, obviously, from a bias standpoint, I'm, I'm every time he steps on the pitch, I'm hoping he doesn't get injured for six months or whatever. But the reality is, as Arsenal fans, we've always wanted to have, uh, well, have, again, players of this level, this recognized level, world-class. Terry, I'm the same thing with Henri was one international duty. He was constantly playing, right? So we always were, you know, one injury away from being without arguably the best striker in the world at, at the time. So... You know, we can kind of wait with bated breath, but I, I don't get frustrated by it. It just is what it is. If you have a player of that level, they're going to play. So I don't, I don't. Can I, can I ask you this here, Drew, real, mm-hmm. real quick? Uh, 
and this is me teed you up again to, to put me in the mud. Um, <laughs> why why do we seemingly why are we seemingly the only club that doesn't do the thing of he's injured? You know, you look at maybe big players for other clubs in the past have um, coincidentally had an injury coming into international breaks where they've been left behind and then the miraculous, miraculously they're, they're they're fit come the come the game week uh, that, that 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 the club games are back way. Are we seemingly one of the only clubs that don't pressure players into doing that? And do you think that that's a good thing that we don't pressure players into doing that? I think it's a good thing because I think Arteta, as part of the my perception is a part part of the culture that he's instilled is accountability as well. If a player generally feels that they might not be fit enough to play or to start, they'll either remove themselves from the camp or they'll go to in Saka's case, go to Southgate and say, "Listen, like." I'm carrying something, can you not start me this match or whatever, if it's feasible. And I think that's also really important because it shows Arteta can trust the players, shows that players will feel as though they're not being sort of, you know, grandfathered by the manager too much, you know, schoolmaster kind of stuff. And I think that's also really important. Um, and also, not for nothing, but Saka is still quite young. The more he plays, the more he's going to develop anyway. So at, at that juncture, you know, the only reason why Erling Holland didn't play today for Norway is because they played Jordan in a friendly but if it was a qualifying match, he would have started. He'll start the next one, you know, when they play. I forget who they have coming up, but he'll start that for sure. But in that sense, why would you play him against Jordan? There's no reason to, really. Um, so, yeah, no. Odegaard played. Odegaard did play, but they don't really have anyone in the team that can really replicate what Odegaard does. The closest person is Hugo Vedlesen, but he's like one international player. True. Well, I mean, so, the same reason. I'd argue that, like, they didn't play Haaland, you know, in this game. Yeah. And I'd argue in a friendly against Jordan what's the point of playing Odegaard? Like, if, if I, don't disagree, I don't disagree with you. Why get that treatment where Odegaard doesn't? Well, Odegaard, also, he's also the captain. So I feel like maybe that's also part of the I don't care. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. At least you're honest I about it. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I also understand, like, it's something I'm saying, it's wrong to feel like you want your, your best players to be, like, wrapped in cotton wool when you can. But I also see that international managers, they aren't beholden to, to club managers. They have their own plans they kind of have to go with it and you have to hope for the best really so yeah Doc fatigue lots of games uh, I know you talk a lot about kind of the number of games players play and the increased risk that has related to injuries so what are your views on on Saka in England's use of, of Saka I mean I'm kind of like everyone else it comes to territory top players are in a play I mean Mikel doesn't rest Saka why should Southgate rest <laughs> why should Southgate rest him right so like that's that's his value, and then you know it's it's, a, it's the same question you can have for Mikel that you have for Southgate. So, um, of course, ideally, yeah, but it's just you know top when you have top players they're going to play internationally. You hope, like you said, you know you get rest for some you know those teams like Jordan. Uh, I think in Odegaard's case, because he is the captain, I think he always wants to play, and that from that aspect, he probably is that why he played. He, he might just feel a little bit more kind of responsibility to play. Uh, but yeah, I think just you know, top players, you're gonna play a lot of games. It just it is what it is. That's why you need some depth in your squad. So we not been wearing a PSG t-shirt. I went out for a run and just chucked his and I was like, oh no, I'm wearing a PSG t-shirt on the show talking about Arsenal. Just realized that. Um that was a present, by the way. I didn't actually go. Uh I, I don't like Paris at all. It's not a place I plan on going back to. Um, but uh yeah, I think and Tom's right in the chat, you know. I, I'm not a fan of international football, mainly because it interrupts Arsenal's flow and season and momentum. And um, 
and I have to write about Arsenal every single... I say have to, like it's a chore. I write about Arsenal every single day and the international break makes it particularly challenging at times to, to you know, be doing four or five pieces um, about Arsenal. I mean, I had to do the, the, the task of discussing whether James Madison's recent form is one of the reasons why Kai Havertz is receiving as much stick as he is, which was not a pleasant thing to write about. Um, but I think that when it comes to international football, there are... To, to some extent, some benefits players that aren't necessarily getting the minutes, like Jakub Kivior, for instance, will play for Poland, and I think that'd be really good for him. Um, Zinchenko has just come back to fitness, gets an opportunity to play. Raj, just quickly, Gabriel Jesus getting called up. You know, he's only just come back from that injury. Were you glad to see that from a recovery standpoint, or were you frustrated to see that to, to know that maybe he plays more minutes than, than he should be at this point? No, I was glad to see it. He, I mean, he's at the point where he needs to, he needs to regain match fitness. Only way to do that is to play in matches. So I, I think we saw that he's he's. I think in, in his last cameo, he looked really. Get up to thirty percent off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence, for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Really good from a movement perspective. So now you're at the point where he's pretty much fully cleared to play. And if there is a minutes restriction, you know, they'll know that. But he, the only way to be prepared for games is to play in games. And that's why there's a risk when you're first reintroduced because your body hasn't adapted yet. So uh, I was glad to kind of see. I think it'll help him a little bit. Again, I thought it was horrific. <laughs> just, just my view. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Owen Thomas says, what's your thoughts on Ben White not even getting a look in for England yet? Maguire, and not just Maguire, but Al uh, Etif- Etifax, uh, Jordan Henderson has been picked. And uh, who's the other one that's really left field? Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips, yes, is the other one that's been picked as well. What do you make of the decision-making there? Yeah, look, um, it's it's no secret I hold no love for the uh, the men's England national team whatsoever. Why? Why? Um, I've no idea why you would not have any. Can I? That's a podcast in itself. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but especially under Gareth Southgate, and because the thing that Gareth Southgate sort of sold this vision on when he first came in was that it was going to be a meritocracy, that people were going to be awarded for their form regardless of what club or what league they play in and for a while that sort of rang true people did get sort of these as you said left field opportunities in a positive way but it's really i think starting to turn into a bit of a boys club now uh, where people get in in terms of relationships with the manager and, and reputation and, and around the, the group of players rather than <coughs> how they're actually performing how they're actually playing you know the fact that 
like these guys aren't even kicking a ball. It isn't even like they've been injured and they're just returning. They literally, they're, they're on the fringes of of their club sides. Um, I think it's great. I love it. I love how annoying it is to everybody. But the one thing that you would say is who, instead of Harry Maguire, do you think Ben White is the one that we mentioned there? There's obviously a rift there with the coaching staff. There's rumours that have been coming out that I won't even give any time to whatsoever speculating around what those are because we have no clue we remember the unfortunate news that we heard around the time that he did return home from i think it was at the euros or the world cup the euros um okay uh, yeah so listen what has happened i don't know but something has happened and i would say in the case of ben white he doesn't seem like a character to me that this would really bother him whatsoever i'm pretty sure he would actually probably judging by his character find find it funny um he's just sitting there writing it out until a new manager comes in which in my opinion won't be overly long i think this is probably southgate's last run at a at a competition and um i think that the next manager that comes in ben white is probably back in the door I saw a report the other day suggesting Coach Mark says this about like uh, Pep being considered by the FA. Why would Pep do that to himself? Like, why would he take that job? Goodness me. Yeah, somebody made a good point, though, is that the fact that he's such a narcissist and the fact that he's so egotistical, oh, you know, to the put best managers usually are, to be fair. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and and I, th- I think, like, look, I, I don't know. I'm not an England fan, the two boys. From what I understand, aren't England fans? So Tom, as somebody that loves international Look at football, that indifference, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, nah, nah, uh, yeah. If you don't love them, you hate them. But this is remember the golden generation of Beckham, Lampard, uh, Gerrard, all mm. these players. This is a golden generation of players that should really be winning some tournaments now. And I think that like. That's why it's criminal that Gareth Southgate is the manager of this golden generation. It's it's criminal. Mm-hmm. Like if England don't get a better coaching after at least if if he isn't gone after these Euros, you know, and people say, Oh, we got England to a European Championship final, he got England to a World Cup semi-final. No, he cost England the European Championships, he cost England a World Cup final. Mm-hmm. That's the way I view it. A better coach would have got more from that England team in those I was just about to say, you could say that I think how far England went is a testament to how good your player pool is, but a better manager wins both the Euro and the World Cup most likely, or at the very least it is in the finals in both. Because I do genuinely think that, like I said before, like your your current crop of players, we don't have to name them all, is probably Mm. I would say top three or four in the world. So in Europe, Mm. they're probably top two. You know, I I should have to think Who's I don't think there's a team the on the planet they should go up against thinking they'll lose, you know, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't argue with that. Well, you will if you start Harry Maguire, but that notwithstanding, obviously. Yeah, yeah, I do think, and just quickly on the whole Pep thing, I do think that, I don't know, I, what, what's he going to do next? Go back to Barcelona, maybe, maybe manage Spain, but Spain I wouldn't touch right now for obvious reasons, given how bad that federation is now shown its true colors, truthfully. He's done Bayern, you know, I doubt he'd ever go to Italy at any point, you know, or PSG. I think he holds himself too high regard to go manage in France or Italy. So I do think England is actually not the worst shout for him, really, if he ever had the chance to. Be Mikel's assistant. Who knows? (laughs) Be Mikel's assistant. Yeah, inverted. That that works out for me too. So, yeah. (laughs) 
Well, yeah, I think no, an interesting thing, one thing on Southgate was Drew mentioned with, with Mikel and the culture he's created with players having accountability and kind of that young, modern culture for modern-day footballers. Um, I think Southgate might be the antithesis of that, and maybe that's mm. why he doesn't like Ben White, because White, you know, everyone gets on him, doesn't watch football, whatever, whatever. It does not matter, right? But it's certain managers who understand what's important and what's not important, right? Like White's training level, his injury level, Holding said he played through a grade two hamstring tear. Like that's what matters, not like these little, who knows what else, Southgate, you know, these red herrings don't matter. So I, I this is outside, I don't know the guy at all, but like that's that's the perception I get of him. And from what I've heard from, the, from how the boys club aspect and how uh, inflexible he is, to me, that's like the opposite of a modern day manager like Mikel, where, where Ben White has thrived. He loves his post-match meals. I can tell you that. I'd never ever see him in the mix zone without some food in his hands. <laughs> that is the way. That's his tactic of avoiding us media. Is that I'm eating. Like, that's that's the way he gets away with it. Um, we uh, that kind of rounds off the the injury international uh, scene stuff. Uh, we have got it uh, on. Pretty good authority now that uh, Nicolas Pepe will be joining Trabzonspor uh, as before the Turkish window closes. It's still a bit up in the air as to what's happening regarding a fee. Um, what we do know is Arsenal will be saving his £140,000 per week wages for this season, which obviously is a big benefit. Um, but we're still waiting to kind of find out whether it's a termination. I've seen some reports suggesting that it is. I've seen other reports suggesting Arsenal are looking to try and get at least three to four million euros. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see for some clarification on that. But what, with it coming to an end of what has been a glorious Arsenal career for Nicolas Pepe, I want to ask the guys what their uh, favourite moment of Nicolas Pepe is. Uh, Owen, we're going to start with you, mate. What is your favourite Nicolas Pepe moment? This is a potentially a silly one because I'm pretty sure we actually did we lose this game um, under <laughs> probably under Unai Emery. I think it was away at Anfield, um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure we lost two one in that game. But Nicolas Pepe, it was it was one of his first first outings really for us. I think it was, and he absolutely had Van Dyke and Robertson on toast and. Say what you want about Nicola Pepe, but he put fear into defenders when he got one-on-one with them running at pace. I've never seen Van Dijk back up. I think it was, do you want to know when it was? It was exactly, remember the time that Liverpool fans were boasting about that Van Dijk hasn't been dribbled past in X number of days, and it was something really impressive. It was genuinely impressive, and Nicola Pepe broke that uh, record for Van Dijk, and they were just terrified of him. I, I was there when he scored his first goal, Um a penalty against Villa. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was. It was that game that we came back and won um, 3-2 with after Maitland-Niles getting sent off. Uh, it's it, it's, sad, it's sad, though. I'll say that. Uh, I, know, I know this is a moments thing, but the one thing I will say is it's sad, and I think that in a lot of ways he was a scapegoat for and the poster boy for a terrible situation at Arsenal that really probably wasn't his fault. And to be honest with you, where he is in his career, where he's got, where his most probable destination at this point is going to be, I think, is beneath his ability and what he can actually do um, with his career. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a sad end. What was an amazing signing um, at the time. Yeah, I remember. You know, obviously, we were linked with a lot with Wilfred Zaha that summer. Um, 
And when we were linked to him, it was a kind of a case of like, really, Arsenal are going for Pepe. He's like the the guy that's being talked about as like the 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 winger of the of the season at Lille. It just was the complete wrong situation, <laughs> a complete wrong system, complete wrong club. But then, of course, Unai Emery, the man that signed him, a man that didn't actually want him as the primary option because he wanted Zaha, is then replaced by somebody that wants him even less than Unai Emery did. It was never a great situation. But Drew, what's your uh, your moment of, of his Arsenal time? I don't have one. <laughs> like a bridge, I generally I don't have one. What I gave you, if you wanted. <laughs> yeah, I guess my favorite moment is him leaving. I guess, and if, if not for nothing, because I just kind of feel like. Our and you kind of discuss. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but you kind of highlighted it for me. I just kind of feel like I don't think Nicola Pepe was ever a bad footballer, and I think a lot of fans forget that he was, actually has a, quite a bit of talent. Um, you don't perform that well, even in France, and even the discourse around France, I think, is also misguided. But you don't perform that well and not be a talented player. I just simply think that it's a period in our recent history that I choose to forget because it showed just how dysfunctional we were as a club in terms of how we were being run, the fact that, you know, Sanye was here, the fact that, you know, the Una Emery regime, which is frustrating to think about, you know, the disconnect there, the fact that for a time he was our, more, he was our most expensive player and look at how big of a flop he was. It's just like, it's, it's a moment I choose to forget. Um, but it also is also a moment I choose to remember because it shows just how we should not work as a club moving forward. And I think if anything, that was kind of like a canary in a coal mine kind of moment. Like if you keep doing, if you keep going the United route, essentially, bad things are going to happen, right? So maybe my favorite moment is the fact that it was a big lesson for us. So, and I can put a positive spin on that one, but in terms of like how he was on the pitch for us, I think he had some fleeting moments where you saw what he could do. But it was never, as you say, the right situation to really get that out of him on a week-by-week basis to the point where you could talk about him in the same vein as someone like Alexis Sanchez, who I think so many fans actually do miss for a lot of different reasons. So, yeah, I mean, good luck to him. I do think, you know, maybe he'll have a good landing spot to kind of rehab his career for however much of it is left. But, yeah, I just it's it was such a bad situation that I just choose to just... It's over with and done with now. There's no more discourse about can he rehab, should we rehab him, that kind of thing. It's just we move on and then we're such a much better place. And I guess if he had to be like that shining example of what not to be, then I guess we can thank, be thankful for that in a way. So, Yeah, I, I, do, I think there's something to be said about him being a good deal in the sense that it teaches Arsenal what they shouldn't do. Um you know, and I think that might be something that, you know, if we if we hadn't have done this deal, maybe we do deals, uh, we would have done other deals, you know, that, that could have been more detrimental. Who knows? Raj. Yeah, I actually have two favorite moments. And they're both they're both FA Cup during the, the, the lockdown year. One was, I, think, I can't remember exactly who it was, but it was an offside goal first half when Maitland-Niles was Chelsea. What was that? I think it was against Chelsea, wasn't it? I think it was I believe the final. It was, yeah. I believe it was ruled outside where Maitland Niles mm. trying to saw some of his potential moving up, kind of the profile like that Mikel lights now, and the ball was played to Pepe and he finished it, but he was offside. Second one, I think, was with City, the match prior, where he went he's on the right hand side, plays the ball to his left, and, and he shot that not shot, excuse me, but he crossed the ball far post where it was headed for the goal. So those are my two favorite just because I, I saw some of the triggers that Mikel wanted to play with him. But, you know, in the end, it was just a, I, I, it was a mismatch, right, of player, environment, time. Um, not many people have really come out of that time, at, you know, being that successful. So 
uh, it's just, you know, one of those very expensive lessons, but, you know, the lessons that hurt are the ones that teach you the most. And hopefully, you know, not hopefully, I think we've learned a lot from it, like Drew said. Yeah, I think that the one, the other goal you're talking about was against Man City, where it was kind of that fast move. Lacazette plays the ball to the right-hand side. Bellerin plays it up to Pepe. He cuts in, crosses to Aubameyang, who kind of launches his foot in midair and it goes across uh, Edison, I think. Or not, it wouldn't have been Edison. Would it have been Caballero, maybe, in goal for City? That mm-hmm. game? Um, it would have been their second keeper. But yeah, certainly that was... Yeah, up there for me, it's his two free kicks against Victoria. I, you know, that was hilarious. I, we were like 2 1 down at home. Unai Emery's career is like in, in complete tatters at this point. And you bring on uh, Pepe, and he scores a free kick in the 80th minute, and then he scores another free kick in the 92nd minute in exactly the same fashion as the first. That, yeah, that was kind of one of those moments like, this guy's got loads of talent. Like, it just. Chuck you on every but, if, but, but, but even ironically, I think I even remember you know these guys that when a manager's on the brink, sometimes they almost edge the team on to lose. I remember mm. some people on Twitter was like, "For God's sake, this would have got Emery the sack," and this is yeah. a one-time Pepe <laughs> shows. <laughs> he saved Emery's career from a short amount. But of let's time, not yeah. forget, like you compare him statistically in terms of goal contributions in in that season, he he was. Very good, not very seven good, or but, but or eighteen or something like that. Yeah, yeah, but he was quite good. Yeah. Like if you compare him to the likes of Anthony or Jaden Sancho or whoever name X, whatever winger, um, he first out quite well statistically. But as you said, that's a complete mismatch. But all we can do is wish the guy the best and uh, yeah, good luck in Turkey. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and genuinely, I do wish him luck, and I hope he succeeds. Not because I want you know people coming out of the woodwork saying, "Oh, we never should have let him go," just because I want to see him do well. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, with it being the Sleep Arsenal Repeat Podcast, we like to end the show um, with the, a section about kind of our uh, health, fitness, mental health, and all of that lovely stuff. And uh, each week, I ask the guys how their kind of personal goals are progressing. Of course. Uh, Raj talked to us about overtraining. Uh, I think it was a, a few weeks ago and kind of getting things in order. And uh, I don't think we managed to get Owens because I don't think he's been it. So um, talk to me, Owen, about what your goal, personal goal for this season would be briefly. And then we'll jump to Raj before he has to shoot off. Um, to survive at this point is probably the thing. Uh, uh, fitness goals aren't going that well, to be honest with <laughs> But um, listen, I get married in September next year, almost a year uh, coming up. Are you? So, really? uh, yeah, not, not this September, <laughs> the, the September after. Yeah, man, I'm putting it off as long as I can, trust me. Um, so I'm going to be kicking into gear for that. Uh, traditionally, I always just did a lot of running, did a lot of sort of cardio based stuff for, for weight loss, getting into shape. But the doc will tell, tell me if I'm wrong or, or right here, but a lot of people are telling me weights actually are one of the best things for uh, for helping to, to lose weight and get in shape and stuff like that. So I don't know. I was considering a personal trainer, but again, it's a minefield of people uh, that are taking advantage of people just for a, a quick payday. So um, I learned it out. In terms of goals, I would say... Uh, just to feel fitter. I wouldn't even say, I don't even like to say, oh, this is my target weight or this is my muscle, body fat, whatever. It's literally just to be fitter. That, that That's it. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a good one to have, you know. I, the, the the training program at the moment it's never been, been for me really about that the numbers and I do enjoy seeing the numbers fall whilst doing it, you know, and that makes it kind of motivational is is knowing the, what progress you're making. But it, it's always been about you know looking at yourself and being more comfortable in in who you are and and say that's the biggest thing. So yeah, I mean surviving is a great thing, you know. Are you feeling much of it much of a difference playing golf, for example, because that's what I always love seeing. Well, getting the steps up certainly has. You know, it makes it, going from like you know teaching and being in a classroom, walking up and down, to sitting in a in an office twenty four seven. You know, or you know, and to now have a, another hobby where I'm out doing lots of walking. That that helps a lot. But do you, no, what, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, so you're obviously going through some sort of exercise routine in your diet a, a lot better. Mm. Say, for example, uh, on the course that I play, it's quite hilly. It's a it's quite quite a long mm. course. Yeah. When I come to the sixteenth or so i'm starting to get tired a bit lethargic my game can slow down a bit are you starting to see improvements say towards the back end of your round of golf when you're now that your fitness is being raised yeah i think so yeah the more the more i'm doing it the less tired i am um Mm -hmm. but it depends how bad of a round i've had to be honest so you know (laughs) if i've I've messed it up by the third hole you know by the 16th hole i'm like i don't care anymore (laughs) but yeah no i think that comes into it uh raj uh, i'm gonna let you go in a sec but but finish the show off um with kind of how you're going with because i know you mentioned i think it was you mentioned about the overtraining and making sure kind of like you're more disciplined i suppose with what you do yeah then we always talk about it you know avoiding highs and avoiding lows right just being consistent because the risk comes from those big jumps well that's you know elite sport or that the same principle applies across anyone and so that's just that's just everyone talks about you know not not doing enough we can also do more and so that's something i find myself often getting into is just doing too much whether it's whatever it is right someone asked me you want to go go play footy then i i played tennis a day before played basketball so just you know it's just figuring out what the right balance is and having that perspective i feel like i have great perspective with stuff except when it comes to my own like you know my own stuff so it's always easy to have perspective on other things so you just had to kind of apply that same uh, microscope to yourself and then uh, to what, you know, to what I want to ask is it's all about, you know, it's all three. You need nutrition. Nutrition to me is the biggest one, but also the hardest one. And then strength training, you need cardio. It's, it's, they're, they're, they all work different systems. So if you're looking to be truly fit, right, um, you need all three. You see a lot of guys who are built or used to be built. They're dying in their 50, you know, 55 because strength training doesn't, it, it, it depends on the type you do, but it doesn't challenge your actual cardiovascular your heart health as much so but then you also need muscle strength too right so it's just there, there's multi-variable so you need a multi-variable approach balance is the word yeah for sure um raj thank you for your time mate really appreciate it. i'm gonna let you shoot off because i know you've got a client coming so um patient coming uh so yeah thank, but thank you really appreciate it i got like two minutes i want to hear what, what drew has to say real quick so. okay cool drew go up. for it man i know you want to jump in and talk about yeah because um, it's not just health and fitness but we talk about mental health as well and i know you want yes. to bring up a point about Jaden sancho so as i mean i you guys know maybe maybe doc doesn't know so much um but owen knows and, and you know time specific as you and i are quite good friends so we talk all the time like mental quite health is, is really shut up i'll deal with you later um, <laughs> <laughs> mental health is like a really important topic for me i've Everyone in my family, for sure, has struggled with mental health um, most of their lives. Uh, and I'll be a bit vulnerable. My mom tried to kill herself when I was a kid. Um, I was suicidal multiple times in my life. My brother has dealt with 
in the past alcohol addiction because of his own mental health. So it's really important for me that people are open about it. And one of the things that frustrates me lately is I think a lot of, and it's, first of all, it's, it's important that a lot of footballers are coming out talking about mental health, about their own mental health, and about how detrimental it is when you get into a place, how it can affect you in all, so many ways. And there's a lot of players who will respond in ways like, so for example, some people, when they're in a bad spot, they, they just, they eat their feelings, which is why you can have that fluctuating weight, even when you're in season. And, that, and you can see that sometimes. So a lot of people are like, well, why is Jaden Sancho putting on weight? That could be a reason why, right? So what's going on with him right now at United frustrates me because there's been so many examples of players in the past that have either not spoken about mental health and it was too late, or they have, and they weren't taken seriously. Um, and three years ago, when I still worked for Bedroom um, Football, I wrote a piece about uh, Sebastian Deisler. I don't know if you guys remember who Sebastian Deisler was, um, but he played for Bayern Munich, played for Borussia Mönchengladbach, and at the time he was billed as um, arguably one of the more technically gifted players Germany ever produced. Um, but because of a rash of injuries and then mental health, his career ended at 29. So when I see all the central stuff going on, and now he's essentially being like scapegoated, being like thrown out in public. I remember a quote that uh, Franz Beckenbauer said about uh, Dizer. He said, Dizer came to our club an extremely introverted person, but no one could have predicted that it would have turned out to be a psychological problem. And I, when I think about that, I think about what they're saying about Sancho now is, oh, he's reserved, he doesn't want the attention, it comes across as him being aloof and better than everybody else. And that's not, like for me, that when I see that, that can't be the case, right? You're talking about a player who, when he was at Dortmund, he was alive, completely different player than he is now. Typically, when you see that huge peak and trough and just the player's outward appearance in terms of if they're playing with joy, if they just seem off it's usually mental health more often than not for whatever reason may have triggered it so i kind of want to like talk to people in uh, when like in the chat and if you're listening later on or like just have a bit of grace for people when you don't know what's going on with them don't assume don't put it into the airways on social media about what you think might be going on wait for them to speak when they speak listen don't just dismiss it the Ali thing we, we're not that far removed from him coming out and the like the mind-blowing things that he would speak about, but no one ever for once considered that that may have been his problem before. So let's not like repeat history, right? Like, again, grace is important, you know, kind-heartedness, just give people the benefit of the doubt, let's know what they have to say. Don't judge, take them all seriously, you know? So Owen, same thing, you, Tom, same thing, Doc, me, everybody, like, if you're struggling, speak to somebody, you know, but like, take it seriously. Yeah, that's all I want to say, so. No, it's really well, really, really well said, mate. And thank you for being vulnerable and open. Uh, the listeners I know will appreciate it. And and this is why I wax lyrical about in in the Kai Havertz situation. Like, stop killing the player, stop battering the player. Like, if the expectation is that you want this guy to succeed and do well, do you really think that putting things out publicly and in the open in YouTube comment sections on social media, battering the guy, saying sell this guy, you know, is is going to help? You know, it's it's not. You know, these aren't robots. They're, they're human beings, so treat them like it. Um, it's incredibly frustrating. But, um, yeah, look, I, I think a move away from Manchester United is the best thing that Jaden Sancho can do for his, his career. Um, and I'm hoping that it happens. Um, it'd be great to see him go back to Germany, I think, you know, where he really discovered himself as a footballer. That would be, I think, would be the great one. But, uh, but yeah. Raj, uh, thank you for joining me. Tell people where they can find you, mate. 
Uh, you can find me at 3CB Performance right now on all social media channels. Uh, thanks for having me on. As always, appreciate it today. Pleasure, my friend. Absolute pleasure. Drew, thank you for joining us today. And uh, as I mentioned before, for being so open with us and for your expertise as well, that are semi-good half the time. Um, I appreciate them. <laughs> Tell people they can find you, mate. Mute. You're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <so> yeah. <laughs> I know. You can you can find me on Xtromper90 on Twitter and then uh, linked on my Twitter is my work I do for 101 Great Goals. And then obviously here with you. And then uh, you can also find me um, at the Bruce Banana Podcast, which is a podcast me and uh, Ben Browning, who you know, and, and Luke mm. and uh, Justin Fisher. We all started uh, recently about just Arsenal stuff. So, yeah. Bruce Banana Podcast, that was, so make sure you go and check it out, people. And lastly, Owen, thank you for your time, mate. It's good to have you back. Welcome back, and I hope that we'll be seeing you uh, throughout the course of the season. Yeah, yeah, it's been a pleasure, and thank you, and, and thank you, Drew, as well, for, for speaking on that topic as well. I think that it, that is something. And, and just a side note to end on, a, a real quick one, I think that not just with uh, football players themselves, but fans, um, if you're so tribal about this game that you have to target other people's players, um, personally, you're taking it too serious, and it, it comes down to the fact that I, I even remember looking back to my own mental health over whatever uh, x amount of years, and I just sort of for once finally linked it to Arsenal were doing well at this time, and I felt great, and, and Arsenal were doing bad, and I felt like trash. Take a step back; it's just a game at the end of the day, um, yeah. and if you need a break to come back and enjoy it, do that uh, because life's more important than a game. That so much. God. My mood with Arsenal is. <laughs> right, guys, have a fantastic day and evening, morning, wherever you happen to be in the world. We will see you next week, same time, Thursday, 9 pm. Uh, enjoy the international break as best you can. And as always, up the Arsenal. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.